Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Nostalgic. Yeah, there's a lot of childhood memories wrapped up in that little show, and uh, it's there's a lot of fond memories, right? Uh, Mr. Rogers was so meek, and he was mild, and uh, he, he was so soft-spoken, but I've come to this conclusion. I think Mr. Rogers may have been a superhero. I, I think his uniform was uh, sweaters and sneakers, and I think his secret weapon was silly songs that disarmed us and caused us to uh, get over our fears and our anxieties and our worries and, and all these dangerous things. But I think if we're not careful, we miss it. I think, I think if we're not careful, we miss the fact that Mr. Rogers, as meek and mild and soft-spoken as he was, Mr. Rogers was not afraid to take on serious issues. In fact, I think perhaps the most glaring example of the serious issues that he would address may have been seen in August of 1968. You need to know the backstory. The backstory is that in August, prior to August of 1968, uh, Mr. Rogers went to church one Sunday, and there was a guest singer, a special singer. His name was Francois uh, Clemens. That's a great name, isn't it? Francois Clemens. And uh, Francois Clemens was an opera singer, but he was also the son of a sharecropper and a farmer in Alabama. And he was traveling around as an opera singer, and Mr. Rogers heard him sing at his church. And as soon as the service is over, Mr. Rogers went and found, I'm just going to call him Clemens because Francois is hard to say. Uh, he went and found Clemens and said, hey, Clemens, why don't you come and join my show? And so they begin to discuss it. And finally, uh, Clemens said, okay, I'll come join your show. Uh, when he did that, he, he joined his show in uh, August of 1968. Uh, that was the first time in history that an African-American had had a reoccurring role on a children's show in America. Mr. Rogers was brave. However, what I want to focus on is I want to focus on episode 1065. Uh, thousand, uh, episode 1065, uh, this is what takes place. It's just four months after the assassination of Martin Luther King, Jr., uh, Clemens comes on the show. Mr. Rogers does his standard entry. He uh, takes his shoes off, changes his shoes, but this time he doesn't put on a sweater. Thank the Lord. He didn't put on a sweater. For the last time, I got to put that thing on. Uh, he, he said, and he began this dialogue. He said, you know, it's just kind of hot this, this week, and so it, it would be really nice if what I could do is instead, I, I just think it'd be really nice if I could put my feet in some cool water in a swimming pool. And so he exits his little staged living room, and he goes out on the front lawn. In episode 1065, he rolls up his slacks, and he takes his very white feet, and he puts them in the pool. And shortly after that, Clemens walks in dressed as a police officer, which was another statement that Mr. Rogers made because uh, Clemens grew up in the ghettos and thought the police officers were their enemies. So he's breaking down stereotypes, and he invites Clemens on national television to join him in his pool. So Clemens rolls up his 
uh, slots and places his very black feet next to those very white feet in the swimming pool. Now, that might seem insignificant today, but but in 1969, when this took place, um, that was very, very significant because uh, just like public transportation, uh, public fountains, public restrooms, uh, public uh, educational systems, there was still severe segregation. In fact, because of the Jim Crow uh, p- policies that were in place, did you know that when all this, when, when they were doing this, that uh, African Americans were not allowed to be in the same swimming pool with white people? In fact, most swimming pools were completely and totally off limits to black people because the, in that day, they thought everybody's society was saying that, that they, they were afraid that African Americans carried diseases. And so we can't swim with them because that's too intimate of a context for us to spend any time together. And so like this, like lunch counters and bus trips, it became this real hotbed of protest. In fact, there were, uh, just like in uh, bus rides and, and uh, lunch counters, there were protests. They called them swim-ins. At local beaches and in swimming pools, they had these local swim-ins. And uh, oftentimes the uh, police officers would show up and there was violence. But probably the most iconic image that would show us took place in 1964. In 1964, someone snapped a picture of this guy. He was a a motel owner. And there was a swim-in going on in his swimming pool. And he he arrives and he sees that there's black uh, folks swimming with white folks. And so he goes and he grabs neurotic acid and he begins to pour it in the pool to try to get them out. And you may say, well, muratic acid, that's not that dangerous, especially in a big pool. You weren't in the pool. It's easy to make uh, decisions about what's dangerous and what's not. But you can see the terror on the face because you don't know how much he's adding or what he's adding. He's just telling them he's putting acid in the pool. And ironically, uh, as they exit the pool, the police show up and they arrest the swimmers. That was the day what Mr. Rogers was in. And what Mr. Rogers does is by taking this simple little action of putting a a little kiddie pool out on the front yard and putting a little bit of water in it and taking his shoes off and and allowing an African-American man to join him on national television, Mr. Rogers was breaking down barriers. He was teaching us that it is not okay to be a neighbor hater. He did this simply by making room in his pool. What I want to say to you this morning is that we have got to continue to make room in our pool. So, Tari, would you join me? And, Andrew, would you join me? We're going to make room in our pool today. We're going to have a discussion. I got the very white feet to pull this off. (laughs) All right, get those shoes off. I need a bigger pull for Andrew's feet. All right. So um, I, I read this recently. Um, Billy Graham, uh, in an interview, he was asked to pinpoint uh, the world's most, uh, the, the greatest social problem. Now, you've got to understand that uh, I've got it right down here. I want to get it right. He had been in ministry 40 years at the time, and he'd been over 100 uh, countries.
around the world preaching. And the interview, asked, interview guy asked him, what is the most significant social problem that we face? And this is what he said. He said, the unhealed wounds of racial injustice and animosity. He had seen hunger. He had seen war. He had seen all this other stuff. And he said it was social injustice and animosity. I've asked these guys to join me because here's the truth. And I'm just being straight up with you. I've never experienced racism. I've never, to my knowledge, experienced real racism. I grew up in a small town in West Oklahoma, and uh, we were pretty ethnically mixed, and so there wasn't a lot of racism towards me. But this is what I know. We have people in our own body that have suffered through racism and discrimination. I've asked uh, Tari and Andrew to share some stories. I I wonder if you guys could say, uh, I know you can say yes, so I'm, I'm asking you to go beyond yes. You've experienced racism, right? Pretty blatant racism at times. So I want to ask you uh, to share an instance, an example of what took place. Tari said, should I be, like, really blunt? I said, yeah, just be blunt. I want to know what this is like. Because I want those of us that we, we go through services like this, and we don't even really understand what people around us have endured, number one. And number two, we don't understand what it feels like. So I want them to share an example of the racism that they faced uh, as we kind of talk through this and try to figure out how to fix this. So, uh, Drew, do you want to start? you want to share one of just some example of what you've endured uh, as far as racism goes? Um, I could go <clears throat> and tell a lot of stories. I'm thankful that it wasn't really extreme because I feel like my parents laid out a foundation for me in the town that I was in that really helped. But there was just some things that are unavoidable. I had a friend, he was one of my best friends all throughout um, elementary school. Like it was, I would show up to class. If he was there first, he'd run up and hug me. If I was there first, I'd run up and hug him. We'd do everything together. And then as we got older, I remember there was this one moment to where, I don't know, he was mad about something and then he brought race. He's like, if you weren't black, then you wouldn't think this way. If you weren't black, then then I would be able to hang out with you. If you weren't black, then my dad, he, it was all this. And then from that moment on, it was just like we didn't know each other. And I was <coughs> barely in seventh grade at this moment. And, and that was the first time that I experienced it in my own, my own life. And then that next year, I had m- multiple friends say, no, you can't come to my house. I, I remember it was a friend that, and me and her, we were really good friends in, in eighth grade. We were... Um, on the class, you know, I was, I was vice president, and every, every, like we were doing everything together, and they were bringing people over to, our, to their house, and he's like, I would bring you, but I can't, I can't bring you to my house. My dad, she, she basically told me, she explicitly told me, my dad won't let you come to my house. And, and then I just was like, okay, well, there's nothing I can do. And, and I remember basketball games on throughout high school to where there's times that not just me, but my whole team, because we we were not the only team that had African Americans on their teams, and, and but there were times where it would get so bad with the fans singling out me and my brother 
and it would get so heated to where they didn't let us leave through the main doors. We had to, we had to, when the game was over, we would go to the locker room and all the whole team had to just leave from the locker room and they told our parents like, hey, we'll meet you guys back at the school. They didn't want to, they didn't want to bring us back up to where anything could happen just from the way that the crowd was responding and even some of the other teammates were, were responding. And then one of the biggest moments was my best friends, even in high school, they started this club, and it was called NEFC, N-word, eat fried chicken. And that was like the, the name of the club. And I remember some of my best friends that I went to church with, that I served in my youth group with, they were a part of this club. And what they would do is after football games, after basketball, after anything that was going, they would wait. They would wait by your car, and they would have buckets of fried chicken and they would put it on your car, just waiting for you to walk out, just waiting for you to come, come from the game, just, just to meet you in the parking lot. And there was times, it wasn't just at my school, it was, it was one of those things that was countywide that, where there were fights, where there were, it was just, and now I was just thinking like, wow, this is, these are my friends. These are friends that I've, I, I've known some of them since elementary school. I've known some of them, I go to church, I rode, I rode in the same car with them, you know, and then, it just see all of that happen and just it's it, it's really eye opening. That's just some of some of them. Did um, did your parents tell you stories about what they endured at all, or did it was it kind of one of those subjects that they just didn't talk about? Yeah, they told me a little bit. My mom, um, my mom was one of the first classes in a school um, that after integration. Um, and it was, and, and I'm from Virginia, mind you, so integration didn't really take as soon as it did in other places. And so her and her family, they were, they were some of the first ones to be a part of that class. And, and, and they were the only African-Americans in that, in that whole, um, in the whole county for, for, the, for the most part. And uh, it was, she told me stories of how they would be treated and how they would sort of just have to find find things and make it work on their own like we're in doing schoolwork and at at lunch and, and in sports where they would just have to sort of do their own thing and and and, and it was just one of those things that Does they she still carry do you think she still carries any uh, residual off of that do you think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those things it's hard because for me I had to fight I had to fight my own self, especially while I was in high school, to, to see some of my friends and see all that happen and, and to sort of find it and put it in its place to where I didn't feel that way towards everyone. Back the other way. Yeah, to where I didn't feel that way towards everyone. And, and to where if I had friends that were my friends where I didn't reflect and, and just say, hey, I know that you're not involved in this, but I just. It's real. All right, Tari, what about you? I grew up in North Carolina, so uh, that's a different animal altogether. Yeah. But tell us some instance. Maybe it didn't happen in North Carolina, though. Maybe your instance happened in Oklahoma. I don't know. What What did you endure or go through? Well, wow, that's hot. Similar to uh, to Drew, um, like Pastor said, I, I grew up in North Carolina. So there are counties that were openly just oppressive. And we would play them in high school, like either football or basketball. And there were just some games that we didn't go to, we meaning black people. 
because there was a county, even up until I graduated, I think it was the later when I was in college, and that was early 90s, I believe, that as soon as you came into the county, there was a billboard that said, welcome to the home of the KKK. So I grew up with that. And, you know, I'm a man at that point. I'm 20-something years old, and it's still there. So the same thing. There's just places that we just didn't go, and we're talking about the 90s. And people are still thinking that it doesn't exist. But going to your point, stuff happened to me when I was in North Carolina, but it also happened here. So um, moved in, moved into our neighborhood we're at now. Um, and Ashley had told us things that she was experiencing at the bus stop. And we're like, okay, that's, that's pretty bad. But I think it came to a head to when uh, we had an ice or a snowstorm came through. And Ashley went outside. She checked the mail. And she says, hey, Mom, Dad, you're going to have to come out here and look at this. And so on our sidewalk, and this is probably, I don't know, 2010, 2009, I believe, um, and it said nigger right there on the sidewalk written in snow. Well, the funny thing is it was spelled N-I-G-E-R, so, yeah. <laughs> they showed their intelligence. Yeah, what, I'll let you yeah. say that, not me. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think it, it didn't only just hurt for me because – I've learned to work through a lot of those issues, but now it's spilling over to my kid. And so that's a whole different set of dynamics that you have to deal with and realizing that, yeah, it's not better. I mean, I thought it would be. My mom and dad, civil rights, spray with hoses, bitten by dogs. My dad was put in jail. You know, he was at the, um, the hospital like three days before the one that was blown up with the four little girls in it. So there's no telling, well, I, I may not even be here because of that. So there's a lot of things that, for me, I had to work through. Thank God my mom and dad didn't raise me that way right. to show that to anyone else. And I thank God that they did that because I could have easily, easily grown up to hate people of a different race than I am. I mean, I've seen their scars. I still see their wounds to this day from the things that they went through in the 60s. But the fact the matter that my kid... now has to go through that, it, it broke me. And so that was hard to deal with. Not only did I, I mean, I was able to callous it over and God helped me and delivered me and changed my mind, but now I have to start over with her. So God give me the strength to be able to say, look, baby, people are dumb and it happens. So how do I treat her and tell her that she can't take up that mantle of hating other people. That's hard. Yeah. Hard. So you said you thought it would be better, and I guess in some ways, from what your parents experienced, it is. It is. Yeah. But that still, I think this is the point people miss. When, when I, this is what I, I get. I hear all the time, it's better. It's better than it was. But that, that doesn't diminish the pain present. Just because saying it's better now doesn't mean if you're experiencing racism now that it doesn't hurt. Um, and I think that's I think that's where we miss it. We want to uh, minimize the pain because it's not like it was. But hey, it's pain. Yeah, it's yeah. I can I can drink from the same water fountain. I can go to a restaurant. I can sit at any table. Those outward expressions that we see. Yeah, that's not there. I mean, I can go buy a house, I can buy a car. But when you're driving from church, you're with your wife, and you're with your kid, 
and you just bought a car and you get pulled over and you're not speeding. And my wife was like, why'd they pull us over? I said, he wanted to make sure the car was mine. And she's like, no, that's not true. Came back, asked for registration, gave it to him. He says, who's Amy Watkins? I said, that's my wife. Whose car is it? It's ours. He looks at her and says, is that you, ma'am? Are you okay? You sure you're all right? <laughs> and so I'm just, I'm sitting here, hands 10 and 2. I'm not moving. I'm not stupid. And so um, he said, I said, why did you pull me over? I just wanted to make sure the car was yours. It happens. So, I mean, it's, no, I, I wasn't throwing up against the car. I wasn't beaten. But it doesn't make the feeling any different. You know, one of the, you brought this up. One of the things that's kind of crazy to me, it never even crossed my mind, I don't think. I don't know that with Devin and Tal that I've ever had to have a conversation with them mm-hmm. of how to act mm-hmm. other than just saying, uh, yes, sir. Other than that, I haven't had to go beyond that with them about what to, how to deal with police. Yeah. Then uh, it's funny you say that. When, when the cop pulled us over, Amy said, well, my dad just gets out the car and confronts the cop and talks to him. I said, I said, I said, baby, I can't do that. She says, why? I said, there's a big difference between your dad and I. I said, he's white and I'm black. I said, I'm not doing that. That's not what I was taught to do. I was taught to make sure I get home. But see, my point on that, Tari, is this. And I think all of our children should respect police yeah. officers. And all of us should respect police officers. But just the fact that you even have to have that conversation with you, and that you'll have to have that conversation about this is what you do and this is what you don't do is so foreign to most of us that we don't even think about it mm-hmm. and we take it for granted. So what, so what can we do then? So um, it's better, but it's not gone. So talk to me just briefly in your opinion, because I think your opinion matters. I think it's one thing for me to say, well, this will fix it, but I don't really know if it will fix it because I haven't experienced it. Is there anything that you can pinpoint um, that you think will help? What would help um, those of us that are part of fashion in the middle of this conversation, what could we do um, on both sides to make this better if we can? Uh, Other than I know we want to spiritualize everything um, and everything is spiritual, but what can we do on a practical level? What What can I do as a passion church member when I see not only you, but I see other people of color and I interact with them, what can I do to kind of tear some of these walls down? Any ideas? Because if y'all don't know, because if you don't know, I don't know. <laughs> One of the things that, I've, that I experience a lot, especially now that I'm older, and um, there's a lot of jokes that can be said, and, and it's like things that you don't necessarily notice. You know, you'll say things about, you know, food that, different cultures will eat, and, and a lot of times those stereotypes, like, they may be surface level and light, and they may get a few laughs, but it's almost like you, you hear those jokes and you laugh, and then when it turns real, it's like those jokes mean a lot more, and those are the first things that, that, that you think about, and those are the first things that I would think about whenever we see things happen on TV, and it's like, and you see the way people respond on Facebook, and that's probably one thing, just stay off Facebook, just when, 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 and just don't, don't even, just don't, just don't participate. But uh, you see those things, and you think about all of that, and you think about all these jokes, and you see the way someone may respond to an incident, and you're like, okay, maybe this is a little deeper 
than what than what it was. And so I, for me, I just like if I hear a joke, <coughs> I call it out. I call it. Out. I was like, hey, that's not funny. I know you may think it's funny, but it's not. I'm like I'm not laughing at it. I'm not mad at you, but that's just that's just not funny. You don't know who you're, who's hearing this. And I think when when you have that mindset, you're like, it may be funny, but really it's not. And when you open up your mind is like, hey, this is, there's so much weight that comes with this. And we, funny, but at whose expense? That's, I think that's what we got to stop at. It, it may be funny, but at whose expense? Mm-hmm. And if there's an expense to get the humor, then it's not worth it. Yeah. And, I th- and things like this, to be able to have a conversation where we say, I want to understand your context. Mm-hmm. Because... Whenever, with, with conversations and trying to get points of view, if you're not willing to understand someone's context, then, then nothing is going to, nothing's going to help. Because if, I, if, I'm, if I'm sitting at a table with my best friend in elementary school and I'm mad at him and he's like wanting to talk to me and we're wanting to have a progressive conversation, if, I'm, if I can't get past the fact that maybe he was going home to a situation where he was being taught all of these things, if I can't understand that context, then I'm going to take it really, really personal, and I'm not going to let him apologize if it ever came to that moment. And I think it's one of those things that's both ways. It has to come to a place where we understand the context of where I've went through things, you've went through things. I, have, I was raised a certain way, you were raised a certain way. We have to get to the point where I understand that, but we need to move forward. Mm-hmm. We've got to be willing to ask for grace. Ari, what about you? Anything to fix it? Help it? We may not be able to fix it, but we'll help it. Yeah, we can help it. I, I mean, first, I'll, I'll just give kudos to someone here in this body. I mean, I'll, a lot of us remember, most of us should remember what happened last year in Charlottesville. I mean, it was terrible. It, it, it was black, white, didn't really matter. People were hurt, killed. Um, but Phil Wilkerson came up to me after church that Sunday and said, hey, I, I want to talk to you. I want to ask you. He says, Whenever you're done with what you're doing, I, I want to talk to you, and I want to understand. And he asked me questions. He says, what was it like? What was it like living in North Carolina? How do you feel right now? That meant a lot to me because it wasn't just evaluating the situation that we saw on TV or on Facebook, seeing people, whatever side you took, it doesn't really matter. He wanted to know how it was for me so he could get a better understanding, and that's huge. So... We have to, like I said, we have to understand, and, but we also have to extend grace. I have to extend grace because if I don't, then it's going to come back on me. I think the second thing is this. I'm big on self-reflection. I'm big on stepping back and looking at the big picture. So for me, just like we've talked about, hey, if you see someone, some dude or some woman cutting grass and you see him, that's cool. But if you go back and come around the corner again, that's sin. When it comes to race, that's no different. Whether you're black, white, brown, doesn't really matter. If I see you, and I and I see that you're white, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I choose to not to be colorblind because I want to learn from everybody. But it's what I do. It's what I think immediately after that. So if you see someone and they look different from you, then what is your next thought? What is your next reaction? You have to evaluate yourself because then at that point. If you start to judge based on their, who they, what they look like and not their character, then you might, okay, God, there's an issue. So, see, this is where we're going to get to because we, we tend to make it black, white race, but we're not the first ones. Mm-hmm. This has been an ongoing issue mm-hmm. 
from day one. In fact, I'm going to take you to some scripture because some of y'all are nervous in church and you haven't used any scripture yet. So let me, let me get some. I'm going to test my eyes all the way back there to the back. I may need binoculars. Uh, in James, uh, in James chapter 2, James uh, deals with uh, discrimination. He says this. He says, my dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out your glorious Christ-originated faith. If a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit and a street person, this is not about race, this is about social class, a street person wearing rags comes in right after him, and you say to the man in the suit, sit here, sir, this is the best seat in the house, and either ignore the street person or say, better sit here in the back row, haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you're judges who can't be trusted? He goes on and he says this, he says, listen, dear friends, isn't it clear by now that God operates quite differently. He chose the worlds down and out as the kingdom's first citizens with full rights and privileges. This kingdom is promised to anyone who loves God, and here you are abusing the same citizens. Isn't it the high and mighty who exploit you, who use the courts to rob you blind? Aren't they the ones who scorn the new name Christian used in your baptisms? You do well when you complete the royal rule of the scriptures. Here it is. Love others as you love yourself. So James confronts um, segregation. He, he confronts uh, racism, discrimination. He, he, he's confronting prejudice based on this. All he does to do that is he, he repeats the command of Christ. He said, well, what's the command of Christ? The command of Christ is found in Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus says this. He's being asked, what's the greatest commandment ever given to man from God? And Jesus replies like this. He says, here are the greatest commandments. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And then he says, and the second one is, "Love love your neighbor as you love yourself. There are no greater commandments than That is the commandment. James confronts what we're talking about by simply repeating the command of Christ. Here's the problem, guys. I'm convinced here's the problem. We know the commandments, and we give lip service to the commandments. But just because we know the command of Christ doesn't mean we act with the character of Christ. And so I think that's where the rubber meets the road. We can come to church all day long. We can have... Christian friends that know the commands of Christ, but until we make room in our pool by exhibiting the character of Christ, we miss it. You say, well, what's the character of Christ? Very simply, and uh, I believe it's in Mark chapter, uh, is it 13, 12, Mark chapter 12, he says this, he says, uh, actually it's Matthew chapter 23, he says, do you want to stand out, then step down and be a servant? You say, well, that's just a bunch of words. No, it's not. Jesus gave his commandments, but then he showed us his character. You find him exhibiting this in John. I want you to put it up then. It's John chapter 14, uh, or whatever that is. I can't read it from here. 13, sorry. It says, so he got up from the mill, and he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Then he said, Do you understand what I've done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. But then he goes on and he says this. 
He says, that's what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. He says, I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. That's his character. He says, a servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it. Did you see what he just said? Act like it, and you'll live a blessed life. Uh, 25 years after the picture I showed you where Mr. Rogers washed Clemens' feet, 25 years, it was the last time that Clemens was going to appear on his show. They reenacted the same exact scene. There's a picture of it, the current one. Uh, Dennis, if you'll put that up on the screen. This is 25 years later. They go back out to the lawn, and they they share time in the little kiddie pool. But there was one step further. Mr. Rogers went one step further because this time when they finished their time in the pool to break down this discrimination, this prejudice, something different took place. This time, Mr. Rogers dried Clemens' feet. He was literally reenacting, showing the character of Christ on national television. He was making room at the pool, in the pool, for others. So this morning, I'm going to wash y'all's feet because I want you guys to know that we love you, that this is home. This goes for women, this goes for Hispanic, this goes for any race, any ethnicity. There is room in this pool for you. And so I'm going to take a moment, and I'm going to get your feet wet, and we're going to wash your feet, and then I'm going to kind of try to summarize everything we've talked about over the last four weeks and put a kind of a cap on it for just a moment, all right? So, just briefly, let me say this to you. As we move forward in the coming weeks, we have to continue to make room in our pool. I'm convinced that when you boil it down, neighbor hate is a direct result of pride. One guy said that pride is the foremost seven deadly sins because all the seven deadly sins originate in pride. I want to tell you this morning that I think neighbor hate results is the direct result of pride. We hate people simply because we think we're better than them. I don't know about you, but uh, when my mama gave birth to me, I didn't get to stop the process and say, hey, if it's all right with you, I'll be white. She 
sense of pride based on the color of our skin is ridiculous. We're all the same. I'm convinced with all of my heart that if we think we're better than others, we won't fight to make room. I am convinced that if we would learn to pick up a towel, we would learn to drop tone. And if I'm convinced that if we would pick up service within the church people, we would drop slander. And I'm just convinced that if we would pick up help, we would drop hate. that if we would pick up love, we'd drop some language. Mr. Rogers preached on a regular basis. Listen to what he says. He says, it's really easy to fall into the trap of believing that what we do is more important than what we are. Of course, it's the opposite that's true. Listen to what he says. What we are ultimately determines what we do. So as we wrap this series up, I just want to tell you that we will do what we are. Let the the power of that statement just come into you right now. We will do what we are. Our behavior betrays who we are. So as we move forward, uh, especially in this coming week, we got to figure out who we are. Because if we get who we are right, then we will treat people people properly. We got to know that that we're all they're, 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 at the foot of the cross. It's common ground. It's level. I, I was just I'm a sinner saved by grace. I was dying on my way to hell. It had nothing to do with my color. I, I was just as hell bound as anybody else. Jesus saved me, and because I of who I am. Behavior will follow. I want to tell you this morning, we're going to win people in this coming week, not by what we know, but by who we are and how we behave. And so I just want to challenge you this morning to break down walls, to wash people's feet. I'm not comfortable with that. Perhaps you can carry a pole around with you to work. Right, you're going to freak some people out if you, hey, come in here. We're in, some, in the break room. I've got a pool set up. Let me wash your feet. But, but did you know when you speak with respect to a person of color, you're washing their feet? Did you know when you call somebody out of your own race that's not speaking with respect and using language they shouldn't uh, use or laughing at things they shouldn't or making uh, innuendos, when you, when you stop them and say, no, I, not around me. that moment, you're pulling people's shoes off, you're taking their socks off, and you're washing them. So I just want to encourage you this week as we head into uh, this time of, of real concerted outreach, Heaven's Gate Central Plains, that we get ourselves right. We figure out who we are. So I just want to challenge you this morning. We've been challenging you for four weeks straight. If there's any prejudice in you, if there's any racism in you, any discrimination in you, if there's any sexism in you, if there's anything in you that causes you to feel a certain way about a certain class or group of people, then I'm asking you, figure out who you are. You're only who you are by the grace of God. 
those who have been given grace, much grace is required. I want to challenge you this morning to act of grace. So this is how we're going to do this. I'm going to pray over you, but as I pray over you, would you grab this little card that was in your seat? want you to join me this morning personally and corporately that we would make this determination that anybody can come and be in our pool. We will not stand up here and ever say that their sin is okay. Hear me. That's why I can tell you what we will gladly accept gays in our church. They will never hear me say that it's okay. We will gladly accept thieves and Gluttons and adulterers, fornicators, drunkards, we'll take them all. But we love them so much, we will refuse to allow them to stay in there because somebody refused to allow me to stay in there. But we'll make room for them. We'll love them. Check this out. This is, this is different from most churches than most churches. We will love them into the kingdom. Most churches want to condemn them to hell. No, we want to love them into the kingdom. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that you've given us a body that understands that just because I haven't experienced pain doesn't mean there's not pain there. I thank you that you're allowing this body to learn to break down barriers that will keep people from experiencing I pray that we would collectively and individually search the depths of our heart. We would come to grips with who we are. We are who we are. Simply by your grace, Jesus. You loved us before we even loved you. You gave us grace. You looked beyond all my faults. You saw all my needs. You left the 99 and you came after me. Because you've given me such great grace. I can't help it. I've got to give grace. So, Father, this morning, I pray that you would search our hearts. I pray that you would do a deep surgery, a deep deep dissection of our heart. That you you would go deep and you would pull out every vestige of racism or discrimination or sexism. Father, we may have seen some people act really stupid. We may have we may have experienced, our experience may be that we saw a certain race act a certain way and so we lumped them all together and we put everybody in that basket and out of that a root a, a, a root of racism and discrimination has emerged in our own life and without even thinking about it almost, almost as a reflex we think a certain way I pray that you would free us from that this morning once and for all and we would begin to see people for who they are people their people. Their context was different. Their upbringing may be different. Their their environment, the atmosphere they've lived in may be different. Their cultural uh, uh, preferences may be different. But the, at the bottom line, the bottom line is this. They need Jesus. And I pray that as we wash people's feet with words we use and words we don't use. 
I pray that as we wash people's feet, as we love. I pray that as we wash people's feet, as we accept. I pray that as we wash people's feet, as we embrace them and we, we, we offer grace to them, I pray that as we wash people's feet, that, that would be the moment that they would recognize that there's something different about us. They would want what we have. What we have. I ask you to accomplish this for this group of people here today. In Jesus' name. Take this card, if you will. I know we handed this out many weeks ago, about three or four weeks ago, and we asked you to fill it out and take it home. I want you to grab a pen. If you brought the one that you filled out, maybe you're carrying it around with you. I want you to take a pen real quickly. Um, and, and you just put uh, first name so we'll we'll know. We're gonna do this as our altar call this morning. Heaven's gates heaven's Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames is coming up uh, this week, and I'll talk to you more about that in just a second. But before we do that, I want to make sure we pray. Say this, because uh, Aaron and I had a conversation this week, and somebody confronted him and said, I don't even know if it's right. Y'all trying to scare people into heaven. Well, it ought to scare us they're going to hell. We've given up this whole concept of bad that really is to the point that we're scared of scaring people. It'll have some of that in it, but it's not all about that. There's a lot about, it, a lot about grace. I, by any means necessary. I want, I want to see people give their heart to Jesus because I, I want them in the pool. So if it forces people to think about their eternal destiny, then destination, then so, so be it. So I hope you're praying, but we want to do this as kind of as our way of, of making sure that we're doing what we need to do. We've asked you to put five people's names down that you're going to invite to Heaven's Gates. Would you just, if you have your card, you can get it out. If you don't, would you just write first names down real quick, the five that you're going to uh, invite this week. It starts on next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Do that real quick. I'm going to give you a second. These are the five people I'm going after, the five people I'm going after, the five people that God's placed on my heart. I'm going to go after them. I don't expect a poster outside expect a banner outside to get them here. I'm going to personally take some intentionality. I'm going to go after them. Just invite them to come see something I'm involved in. You got it? You're five. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you bring your five and lay them right here on the altar and then just stay right here with us and we're going to pray over these names. You can just lay them right down here on the altar and then our staff, our pastoral staff, we're going to pray over these all week long. I'm going to divide them out to the staff and we're going to spend time praying over these five individuals or However many you have to write down that we're going to intentionally. You can just stay here once you just kind of move out of the way so people can get to the altar. But we want you to stay down here and we're going to collectively pray over these group. These are the harvest. This is the harvest. This is the harvest that we're expecting to see this week. Uh, last Sunday morning, Sunday night, and uh, Monday night in Holiday, Texas which is the size of uh, cement, Oklahoma. Some of y'all don't even know. It's like 2,000 people. We had 75 people gave their heart and life to Jesus during this presentation. Now, so my concern is this. How many of us don't know anybody scary thought, but it's true. 
because a lot of us only spend our time with Christians. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do because some of you weren't able to bring a card because you don't know anybody that's not saved. I'm going to ask you to be incredibly sensitive over the course of this week because what's going to happen is you're going to come into contact with some people at Walmart or Starbucks or wherever you eat or whatever and you're going to be able to say to them, hey, I'm coming to this presentation this weekend. Would you come? Another testimony I'll give you real quick is uh, two weeks ago at River of Life, they did this in a couple that has absolutely refused to come to church for two years. An individual was in the presentation, invited them to come and see them in the play. They came for two years. They've been asking for two years, and they Christmas, Easter, no way. They came for this. They gave their heart to Jesus, and last week, they got baptized. That's what we're expecting to see happen. So, will all of you stand with me and just stretch your hands out this way? Will you help me just believe this morning that we're going to see great harvest from these that are on these cards and from those that maybe we come into contact with this week? Father, in Jesus' name, your heart is for the lost. Your word says that like a good shepherd, you'll leave the 99 after the one. I just pray this morning right now that you would begin to work on the hearts of these individuals listed on these cards first, that, Father, as we invite, as we intentionally invite, that for the maybe for the first time ever, they would respond and say, hey, we'll, we'll come to see. God, I pray that you'd break down every barrier, every everything that they can raise up as an excuse. I pray that you'd break it down right now in the name of Jesus and that they would get, get here and that by watching this simple presentation, they would give their heart and their life to you, Jesus. We claim them as our inheritance, as part of our harvest. Father, we pray for all of us, those of us that maybe we don't know a lot of non-Christians. I pray that as we go throughout this week, as we go uh, into a place to eat or a place to shop or wherever we may spend our time, that we, we would be so sensitive to your spirit that we would, we would insert the right word and we would invite in that moment. Eternities would be changed the life of that individual and they would come and they would get saved and they'd give their heart and life to you. God, we are expecting a great and mighty harvest. Help us to do our part. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. You can go back to your seats real quick and we'll uh, divide these out later. Um, I want to mention a few things to you as our ushers prepare for our morning tithes and offering. Just real quick, I want to say a couple things to you. We are going to take up a special offering this morning. For Heaven's Gates um, to help offset the expense of this. And so if you have a special offering, you can just uh, put it in the offering bucket and uh, mark it. Just put Heaven's Gates on your envelope if that's what it's for, and uh, we'll take care of that. Uh, first of all, let me say welcome to anyone that's here that's our uh, first-time guest with us. If you're here for the very first time, would you see me right after service? I'll be standing right there in the back if I can get there quick enough, and I have a gift for you. As a way of saying thank you for being here, you can just fill out your little com, uh, connection card in your worship uh, bulletin and give that to me. Uh, if, it, if you're here for a second time, uh, come see me and I'll have a gift for you as well. We just want you to know you're part of our family. Ushers, if you would, uh, would you uh, come and receive our morning tithes and offerings? It's an act of worship this morning. Uh, let me mention a couple things to you. If you've signed up for Heaven's Gates, if you have not signed up for Heaven's Gates and want to help, there are still plenty of roles for you to help in. In fact, we are still short on a couple of areas uh, in the acting in particular.
And so we need your help. If you want to be a part of that, see me right back here. We'll sign you up, um, and we can help you. But here, listen to me carefully. doesn't matter what role you've signed up for. Usher, greeter, hospitality, setup, teardown, actor, does not matter. I, I need you here Thursday night at 6 o'clock. Thursday night at 6 o'clock, uh, we will spend a little bit of time in uh, vision casting. Uh, we'll spend some time in devotion, spend a little bit of time in prayer, and then we'll dismiss, dismiss those that need to leave that are not actors. Actors at that moment, actor and actresses at that moment, we will do our casting that night. You will get your, uh, your script and your uh, information that night. So got to be here at 6 o'clock Thursday night. We'll set up all day Friday, Friday night rehearsal. We'll be here all day Saturday preparing, and then we will present on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Um, I just want to encourage you. When it comes down to it, I'm just going to be blunt with you. When it comes down to it, what happens here on next Sunday morning, next Sunday night, Monday night, comes down to you. Comes down to you, whether or not you're really willing to invite. I'm asking you to step outside your comfort zone. Invite people to come and be a part of what God is doing. I am believing for an incredible miracle over the course of this coming. All right, so will you be here at 6 o'clock Thursday night? I want to come and help you. Just show up. We'll put you to work. We'll find a place for you. All right? I want to bless you, and then I'm going to let you go. But first, Dennis, will you show the promo? This is the series we're going to start after Heaven's Gates on purpose because we believe so many people are going to get saved. They're going to have to learn the basics of the faith. So, Dennis, if you'll show that, and then I'll pray over them and release them. love technology, right? Play that me if it's not going to work. asked me if you could share this. I've forgotten about this, but real quickly, let him share this, and then I'll pray over you and let you go this morning, because this shows what can happen on a weekend like we're getting ready to have. It's my life. Watch this. Listen to this. Uh, it started even even when I was young. There was there was two guys in our church, and they were living together, and they were good. So, this is back in the late 70s, early 80s, and my mom and dad, we broke, I, I remember being small, we broke bread with them, we loved on them. No matter what the decision was, we still showed them so fast forward to Amy and I. There was a, there was a guy that she worked with, um, and he was openly gay, and she loved on him. They, they became best friends, and there was a question that he asked her that shook me. Are you sure you're a Christian? Real simple question. 
are you sure you're a Christian? Because the ones that I've experienced before, they don't act like me. They don't talk to me. They don't love on me. They don't do any of that. So are you sure you saved when you said you were? That's huge. And that reflected, that came back to him like, we've got to do better. So when Amy passed, we had her service at Riverwood. And Pastor Steve gave the altar call. And this guy had long since moved to Atlanta been there for four or five years. Um, little did I know that he was there. He drove all the way there, drove all the way back, and left Sweetie because of the love that he had for her, because of the love that she had for him. And when he asked for that altar call, he gave his life to Christ. That's huge. We have to choose to live the life that we say that we're supposed to live. Because it may be a hard pull to swallow. A lot of us don't. They don't see us as that. They see us as hateful, as judgmental. But we have to show the love the way God wants us to. All right, stand with me. Let me bless you this morning. Father, I pray over my folks today. I pray you bless them this week. I pray that all week long, embedded in their own mind and spirit, that somehow, some way, you would convince them that we need to make room in our pool. Father, I pray that as we live our life out in front of people this week, we would discover that they want to know who we know. I pray that who we are will determine how we behave. And this week we are claiming a great harvest. And so I bless these folks to be ambassadors of grace. I pray you'd bless them to see people they prayed for for many years that have been lost. I pray you'd bless them this week. The greatest blessing is to see those that we love get saved. We claim all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you this week. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.